This is BPN Radio, your 24-hour Internet prayer station with Dale Gentry and friends. Calling America to pray. A member of the Breakout Prayer Network. Let's pray, America. It's time now for the Warriors Watch with Pastor Callie Hargraves here on BPN Radio. Second Chronicles 23.6 says, And all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. Now, here's your host for the Warriors Watch, my friend, Callie Hargraves. This is Pastor Callie with Warrior Watch. I'm so happy to be with you today. Today we've got Miss Frida White with us. Uh, again, we're going through this book, A Woman God Can Use, and we're going to talk about the call and the anointing. And I'm so happy to have you, Frida. Can you just uh, take us through this chapter? Because listen, God is calling women. This is an hour where I believe we are literally entering into the next great awakening. And I believe it's going to be praying women that say yes to the call of God alongside men. And we're going to see this awakening unfold. That's right. And uh, a pastor friend of mine was telling me, he said, you realize this is the year of the woman. And I said, no, I did not know that. So I don't know where he got that, but I received that. Yes, It is is our year. And so um, I'm delighted to be back. And I will mention that this book is designed to be a reference tool. Right. That this is not a book that you'll just read and put aside. This is a book you would want to keep with your Bibles, your Strong's Concordance, your reference books. Because when questions come up, I promise you every issue is addressed in this book to help men and women work together to further the gospel. Wow. Wow. And, And that's my whole objective in putting this together. And I've been so encouraged by pastors, men, that have believed in me and encouraged me and said, Frida, this has to be taken throughout the world. And I said, well, that's what we want to do. do. um, And it is available on Amazon now, paperback and the Kindle version. You can go and download yours onto your uh, reading device if you want to. Okay. And if anyone orders it, if you would do a review for me, I would sure appreciate that. Yes, in fact, I need to have you download this one while we're thinking about it on mine because I'm so technically challenged so that I can do a review. I can tell you right now that this book, uh, just going through the chapters with Frida has been life changing and, uh, and, and God wants us to understand us to understand as women that we're not a second class citizen. We're not God, God's not using us because he can't because he can't find a man to do it. And, right. and we honor the men of God. We yes, honor, we do. There's, you know, we're, we're not trying to say that women are more important than anybody else. But what we are saying is we're called of God and we need to do what God's called us just like the men in our lives. Well, I believe the heart of God is that men and women will flunk, function and flow together. Yes. In the spirit of the Lord. Yes. And together. We get the job done. Right. And it takes both. Right. It's not either or. It takes both. And so as we begin to look at the anointing, the anointing is such a precious thing. Yes. It's not ours. It belongs to the Lord. And if we have the presence of God in our life, if we're anointed, it's because he has chosen to put it upon us. And we can't buy it. It's borrowed. It's his. Yes. And we need to guard it very, yes. very much so, so that we do not do anything that would frustrate the will of God. And one of the things that I noticed is that there was many healing miracles that were performed by our Lord Jesus Christ when a woman made a request of him. Wow. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? It's because in that culture and in that day, women were not even allowed to talk to the rabbi. Right, right. Much less have a conversation and and ask for a particular thing. So the Lord Jesus went beyond any rabbi of his day. The greatest rabbi that ever lived was our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he would have conversations with women. He actually mentored them because the women traveled with the disciples yes. and the Lord, that was completely unheard of. Never in the synagogue was a woman allowed to be mentored by the rabbi. But the Lord was willing to speak into the lives of the men and the women of that day. And um, many of those women were wealthy women. 
They gave out of their substance, not only to help him in his ministry, but they financed the whole bunch of them. Yes. And, you know, you stop and think about how much they were doing. In Luke 8, it talks about that, and it, it lists some of them. It says one of them was Mary Magdalene that had the seven demons cast out of her from the village of Magdala. And then there was Susanna and Joanna and the wife of Chusa who managed King Herod's household. Wow. So these women were supporting the Lord's ministry from their own personal finances. They were so ex um, excited to be a part of what he was doing. They gave freely. Now, George Lamson's commentary on the scripture and Eastern customs says this, it was most unusual for a priest or prophet to speak to a woman in the East. And that was the case in the biblical time. And they did regard Jesus as a prophet. And yet he has women disciples among the 12. He never discriminated wow. against the women. And he, he was aware of the established customs, but he departed from the customs, talked to them openly, and um, he did not shun them. And I love that so that we begin to understand that he was showing us the heart of our God. Yes, yes. That he loves men and women. He wants restoration from his kids. Um, Dr. Brian Simmons, who translated the Passion Translation, and I love that translation. I hope it's going to be the whole Bible this fall. Um, when I first found out about it, you know, Callie, I was ordering, you know, the Book of Romans and the Book of Proverbs, right. and they were individual books. And so to get it all in one piece now, the whole Bible, it'd be, great. It'd be wonderful because he's in a, quite an authority on the Greek and the Aramaic languages. And he, he said the same thing. And he went on to say, Luke is the one gospel writer who brought out how many times our Lord Jesus would honor women. Wow. So what we want to do is we want to understand at the Lord's Supper, there was only men present. No women were invited to attend because of the customs. But you know what? In the upper room, they were when all the power there. of the Holy Ghost fell. Yeah. Men and women were there, and they were not segregated away from the men. They were yes. welcomed and allowed to be there, a part of it. And then, of course, our classic scripture is found in Matthew 28 when the Lord rose from the dead, and he gave the commission. And he said this, Do not be afraid, the angel said. I know you seek Jesus, who is crucified, but he's not here. He's risen, as he said. Come and see and go quickly and tell the disciples. Yes. So they were rewarded for their love and devotion to the Lord. They had supported his ministry. They never left his side. They were witnesses of the crucifixion. And yet they went back one more time to anoint his body for burial. And they found out that he was, he was risen. Gone. Yeah. He's gone. He was gone to heaven. Uh, he was gone. And uh, so the commission was given. Go and tell. And so what better, better uh, reason do we need to go and tell than the Lord? And then on down in verses 9 and 10 of Matthew 28, he went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Rejoice. Now, I'm reading from the New King James. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Wow. So they were given the commission to, to go, go and tell, to go and, and share the good news. So as the book of Acts comes into play, there is now the ushering in of a new covenant. A relationship is birthed where we can be reconciled back to our father God. We yes. don't have to have a veil separating no, us anymore. We no. don't have to go through someone else. Priest. We have open right. access to the Lord. And I love that. And so many times people will say, but Paul had a problem with women. And they began to pull out some little verses that um, would look like they don't um, agree with a woman ministering. And I want us to talk about this sure. because it's a very real situation in many churches today, many denominations. Paul studied under the rabbi Gamil as a young Pharisee. And Gamil has some surviving works. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at the things that Gamil taught 
how Paul, when you look, observe his life, he fully listened to the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that he got from by revelation. Right. And then you see the way his mentor, Gamil, operated. Now, Gamil's surviving works indicate a favorable attitude toward women in sharp contrast to the rabbinic tradition as a whole. All but two of his six sayings that have survived through history treat women and men equally, freedom to walk, to testify in court, to promote the welfare of women, and none were derogatory to women, and Gamil was considerate of the practical needs of the women. Wow. Now, that was, was completely unheard of. So he was the most esteemed rabbi in that day, and Paul sat under him and was mentored by him. And I believe that Paul took those things to heart because even when he persecuted the early church, it said he put both men and women into prison. Mm -hmm. Now you say, well, that's kind of bad. Well, yes, it is bad. But not only did he not discriminate, he just threw them both in. So he he considered them equally. You know, they were both Christians and he didn't want anything to do with them. And so let's talk about how Paul would never allow a woman to teach. Because if that is true, that Paul put forth a mandate that a woman was never allowed to preach or to teach in a local church setting, then why did he recommend women who were in ministry? Either his words were one thing and his actions were another, or maybe they are the same, and we have looked at them through a lens, a religious lens, that did not reflect the heart of God. Yeah, we don't maybe don't understand the exact scenario he was speaking to. Right, we? right. And so, you know, the most logical thinking to me is to ascertain those actual relationships that Paul had with women and find out where those relationships corresponded with his written sermons and letters to the churches. And if, in fact, he was opposed to women ministers, then their stamp of approval would not be found among his letters. Yes. Now, that's logic. Right. And so that requires, uh, for those of you that are listening, we need to approach the Bible with an open heart. Right. And a teachable spirit. Right. And say, Lord, I know you're wanting to do some things in the world today, and I don't want to hinder what you're doing. Right. Um, For instance, in the three missionary voyages that Paul did, there were several that accompanied him. And the most interesting fact to us in this study is some of those were women. And the first Easter morning and throughout all the days of Paul's ministry, women were found laboring with him and bringing life to those that were held captive. Yes. And as a spokesman for the Gentile community, he spoke with authority to the church. And when we observe his life that's recorded in the scripture, we see a lot of respect and love flowing from him to those that he labored with. Sure. And that's the way it should be. You know, we need to know those that labor with us and we need to know what, what kind of spirit do they have? Sure. And Paul knew that. And so they lived in that turbulent period under the Roman empire. And yet he was constantly ministering life to every person that he found. He had received much and he was willing to give much. And so I want us to talk about the years following the early church because I believe the women were not utilized as much as they could have been in the church for various reasons. Um, A lot of them were not educated. They were denied the privilege of of sitting under the tutelage of the the rabbis and the 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 synagogue. That's right. And so um, the Romans did not consider them worth anything. The Jewish people, the only respect you had was in the home. So there was a, a lot of ground to recover. We live in a day today where we don't have any restrictions in the United no, States. No, no, We are blessed. We are very blessed. We are blessed. And so as we began to look at this, I, I began to look at some of the early church fathers. Um, those saints that have recorded many things from the first two, three, four hundred years 
after the the Lord ascended into right. heaven. And one of them that I have considerable uh, knowledge of, and I have in my personal library, all of his homilies, and it is St. John Chrysostom. Now, he was the archbishop in, um, at the time of Constantin- Con- Constantine. Constantinople. Oh, Const- <laughs> I can't say it. Constantinople, yes. And so he was the archbishop, and so here he is, and he begins to write about some of these women that we read about in the New Testament. And so his um, philosophy greatly influenced the Eastern Church. And so of the 17 letters he wrote to a deaconess regarding his regard for women working in the church. And then St. Jerome, who was between 347 and 419, during the time of the 4th century, assured us that women were allowed to hold office in the Eastern Church long after the Roman Church, which is where the Catholicism started, right. had ceased to exist. And um, in my book, I give many details from the early church fathers. And, and I began to notice something. Women began to diminish from the beginning ministry. In the Gospels and the Epistles, we see women actively ministering. But by the fourth century, they were gone. They were gone. So was the power of God. Wow. And I thought, what is the, 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 the correlation here? Is it possible? And I'm just throwing this out to our listeners. Is it possible that when we kicked women out of their God-called, God-anointed place, that the power of God began to diminish. Wow. Because we are hindering the work of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And so whenever we begin to look at that, we begin to understand the, the importance of being sensitive to his spirit. Um, Dr. Simmons, in his book on the Psalms that he translated, he said this, God Almighty declares the word of the gospel with power. And this is Psalm 68 that I love. And the warring women, yes, the warring women of Zion, yes, deliver its message. The conquering legions have themselves been conquered. Look at them flee. Now Zion's women are left to gather the spoils. Wow. What a translation. Now that's the passion translation. And if you haven't um, looked at it, you might want to because it is very accurate. He is an authority on the Greek and Aramaic languages, and I love it. He said, the warring women women of Zion. Zion. Yes. So we're on the warrior watch, and we're the warring women of Zion. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Well, you know, a woman just in the natural has the ability to take seed to conceive. Right. We're the the vessel that holds the seed. Yes. And then we have the ability to grow and conceive and and come to full term and birth a baby a human being that's right and much of much of what's done in prayer and of course we got praying men and praying women and the concept works for both but a lot of the revivals you go see the revivals that preceded the awakenings it was started a lot of times with women just getting a hold of the horns of the altar and praying and interceding that's right that's right and they become spiritual midwives yes and so as they began to travail in the spirit and do the warfare that's necessary in the heavens to see men and women set free and delivered from the powers of darkness. So that's why I love that version, the Passion Translation of Psalm 68. That's awesome. The warring women of Zion and the new Zion's women are left to gather the spoils. Wow. And that's what we desire. So then I think about it. You know, the scripture says in Matthew eighteen nineteen that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them of their father. And so I believe if God can find a husband and wife that come into agreement and they submit their will to the will of the father and they allow him to work through them, great things begin to happen. Yes. And so uh, when you look at the early church, the edict of Claudius banished all Jews from Jerusalem. And so many, as they were scattered, were forced to take refuge in other places. And there was one couple, Aquila and Priscilla, Priscilla. that ended up in Corinth. Mm -hmm. 
And in the Bible, it's very interesting because their names are mentioned six times. Three times, the wife's name is first. Three times, the husband's name is first. Now, why would God have this couple mentioned six times more than any other couple in the New Testament? And her name's first three times and his name. And you say, well, Freddie, you're making a big deal out of this. No, I believe God's bringing the balance. Yes. Because even in our day, for instance, we would not say Frida and Bob White, my husband. We would say Bob and Frida. Mm-hmm. So certainly that was the custom even sure. back then. But yet the scripture records it different. And I believe it's because God wants us to get our eyes off the sex of the individual, whether they're male or female, and get on the anointing of God that rested in their life. And it didn't matter which one of them was ministering. They functioned together as one. And they had a partnership. And their testimony stood out to every person that came across their path. And whenever we read about it in Acts 18, Uh, Verses 1 through 3, it says, When Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And because they had the same trade or occupation, he stayed with them. So if you believe that a woman's place is only in the home, then you're, you're missing something here because here was a business woman and a businessman right. that worked at their craft and they invited Paul to join in partnership with them and they worked. And then when we go into Acts eighteen twenty four and 26, it says Aquila and Priscilla, when the, he brought Apollos to them, heard him, they took him aside. Who is the they? Aquila and Priscilla, and Priscilla both of them. and both of them explained the way of the Lord to them more accurately. And then in Acts 18, 18 and 19, this is where we see the little flip in their names. So Paul remains a good while. Then he took leave of them and sailed for Syria and Priscilla, the Bible says, and Aquila. So now the, the writer of the book of Acts, which we know was Luke, the physician, right? When he wrote it, all of a sudden Priscilla comes first. So Priscilla and Aquila were with him. And this is where uh, Paul made his vow and shaved his hair. And so I believe what we see is that Paul had great confidence in this couple. He stayed in their home. He worked side by side with them. And I believe if you want to know somebody, work with them. Yeah, absolutely. Or live with them. And all of their little... Nuances will come out, good or bad. Good or bad, yeah. And so he knew them. He watched them in every situation, and he had total, complete confidence in their ability to instruct Apollos. And when he leaves town, he says, you know what? I can leave people here knowing that you're going to take care of them. So if Paul didn't suffer a woman to teach, why is he encouraging Priscilla? Yeah, because she's influencing people he's bringing to them. That's right. And he wasn't concerned about them getting off on the wrong foot right. or, or, or having wrong era. Paul was not against the women teaching the men. What he knew was that God had anointed her, and he was not one to restrict God's will in her life. And I believe the respect that he held for her is demonstrating in greeting her first in both of the list of his colleagues in 2 Timothy 4.19 and again in Romans 16 when they ministered together in Rome. So this, this couple, they have a church in their home because there was no church um, building to speak of in those days. That was something that came centuries later. And so I began to think about it. I wonder if the early church fathers knew anything about Priscilla. Well, guess what? St. John Chrysostom, the Archbishop of Constantinople, said this. This is what he wrote. For what Empress Prey was so conspicuous, conspicuous or so celebrated as this wife of the tent maker? She's in everybody's mouth, not for 10 or 20 years, but until the coming of Christ and all proclaim her fame for such things as adorn far more than any royal diadem. 
the width that the sun sees over is not more than the glory of this woman. <laughs> Can you imagine? And um, then he goes on, the whole earth sings of the Christian spirit of this woman and bless her. This is three centuries after her martyrdom. Yeah, yeah. And she's still being talked about in the church. Yeah, if the truth be known, just the fact that they're mentioning her, the anointing may have been stronger on her than her husband. You know, we don't I, know. We don't know, but the fact that they're mentioning her That's right. makes me wonder if she carried a, even a heavier mantle than he yes, did. Yes, absolutely. So she was so well known among the early church that for the, in the surrounding area that they were well aware of her. And that's why in Romans 16, 3, he said, Paul was writing and he said, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Oh, woo. that's awesome. That's powerful. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, and I'm reading Romans 16, 3 through 4. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So you talk about a power couple. This was a couple that took charge of their lives. They served the Lord with everything in them. And Paul validated them. He gave approval of them. And some scholars even think that Priscilla was the one who made the copies of the books of the New Testament that Paul sent out to the churches abroad since all the churches thanked her. Wow. Wow. And so Chrysostom goes on further and says this. You see, these were noble women, hindered no way by their sex in the course of virtue. And this, as may be expected, for in Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female. And this chosen vessel does not feel ashamed to call a woman his helper, but even finds an honor in doing so. Wow. Now, if all we had was this one example, that's pretty powerful. So if someone says, well, Paul said, I suffer a woman not to teach. I think you better go back and read the whole story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he certainly allowed Priscilla to do that. And I believe that Priscilla operated in uh, the church in the fivefold ministry office of a teacher. Yes. I believe that God had graced her with the ability to communicate well and expound on the scripture. I believe she did her due diligence and she was faithful to see what God was doing in the earth today. And Paul respected her. And when you respect someone and you honor them like he did by recommending her in the end and openly thanking her, it tells me volumes about her. And, you know, the interesting thing is when you look in Romans 16, it's like a list of women that Paul recommended. And while we're here, we may as well get the number one, verse number one. And this is where Paul, and I'm quoting again from the Passion Translation. Okay. And he said, let me introduce to you our dear and beloved sister in the faith, Phoebe, a shining servant of the church in Sincrea. I'm sending her with this letter and ask that you shower her with your hospitality when she arrives. Wow. Embrace her with honor as is fitting for one who belongs to the Lord and is set apart for him. I'm entrusting her to you. So provide her whatever she may need for she's been a great leader and champion for many. I know for she's been that for me. Wow. Wow. I love the Passion Translation. Yes, yes. So Dr. Simmons is telling us as he's looking into the scripture and he goes all the way back into the Greek and the Aramaic that Phoebe was um, a leader, a leader. Now, I believe she was the pastor of the church. Wow. And you say, well, Frida, why do you believe that? Well, first of all, um, if all we had was this one word servant, that is the word dikononos. And it's translated servant, deacon, or minister, Mm -hmm. interchangeably. When you see that as a woman being described as a servant, your mind immediately thinks, oh, she served probably in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And she was a great cook. And when we had church, hospitality was her thing because she was a servant. But the word means deacon, 
minister or servant, diakonos, according to Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. And as you look at this scripture in Ephesians 6.21, it talks about men and it talks about them being a beloved brother and faithful minister. Didn't say faithful servant. So it's at the discretion of the translators whether they're going to translate diakonos, deacon, minister, or servant. In this place, in Ephesians 6, they translated it minister. But in Romans 15.8, when it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, they said he became a servant, diakonos, and a minister to the circumcised, the Jews, in order to show God's truthfulness and honesty. Well, when you talk about the Lord, it's okay to say servant, and we wouldn't think hospitality with him. No, but with a woman, we do. That's right. And then in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, it said, who also made us sufficient as ministers. There's that same word again Mm -hmm. of the new covenant, not of the letter of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So when we talk about Phoebe, that word servant is dichotomous. Okay. But then you go on further in the second verse of Romans 16, there's an interesting word. And in the Greek language, it's, um, translated in our English as succor or aid or assistance. But when you look it up under Vines Dictionary, this is what it means to stand before, hence to lead, indicating care and diligence to rule with preference to a local church. And it also means one who is properly trained, one who stands by almost as a champion defender. Wow. Now, who has the office in the church of standing before, leading, taking care with diligence, but the pastor? Pastor, right. So I believe, Phoebe, according to Romans 6, 1 and 2, first it declares that she had an anointing. Right. Dikonos. She was anointed by God. And second, he said, I want you to help her because she has been of great aid to many. But that word aid or succor is far more than what we understand. more than just bringing somebody a hamburger. Absolutely. She's serving up the gospel. She's mentoring people in Christ. She's pastoring. And I love the way that it's described as a champion defender. Yes. So she is encouraging men and women to be everything that God has called them to be. That's awesome. Uh, Absolutely. And so as she stands before and she leads them, obviously Paul came in and out of that church. And so when he did, um, she is now known throughout Chris, throughout Christendom for not for her domestic skills, but her ability to lead a congregation because it's the pastor who looks after the congregation with care and diligence. And he's the one that encourages men and women to rise up. Now, Paul did not suffer from a fragile male ego. No, <laughs> he was a secure man, man. He knew who he was in Christ Jesus. Right. He's known as the apostle of Liberty. And so he didn't have to protect anything. He was very quick to write about that. And that's why I believe she was probably really excited when she read what he wrote in Galatians 3, that Christ has set us free and make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. So just as Deborah stood in the office of a judge and a prophetess in ancient Israel for 40 years, an entire lifetime, I believe we now see in the New Testament a woman standing before the congregation. We don't know how long she pastored that church, how long she was in that position, but we do know she was there. Right. And so in the Old Testament, we see a woman that was given the care and diligence to lead a whole take care of God's nation, people. take care of the people. And then in the New Testament, we read about it. So I believe Deborah was the foreshadowing of the same leadership principles that Phoebe had. And there that, that happens um, to me is that Paul was endorsing a woman as she stood in that office. And the issue was not the, her sex. No. The issue was whether the anointing of God rested upon her. He didn't want her to go without any support in her endeavors. And he recognized that the anointing of God was on her. And so... 
as we think about Phoebe, I thought, oh my, what a woman she was. Godet wrote on his commentary on the book of Romans that she was a servant of the Lord invested with ecclesiastical office. Wow. Theodore, an early church historian, referred to Phoebe in the following statement. Now, this is someone years later. The fame of Phoebe was spoken of throughout the world. She was known not only to the Greeks and the Romans, but also to the barbarians. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? Wow. She was a threat to the powers of darkness. Right, right. She reminds me of what Psalm 68 said, <laughs> those warring women, women of Zion. Zion. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So here it is years later, and Theodore, an early church historian, is calling her, you know what? We all know who Phoebe was. She was incredible because they're still talking about her. So I believe that she was so powerful that her fame began to spread, as he said, throughout Persia, the barbarians. She was absolutely God's woman of the hour at that time. And I believe that as she stood in that fivefold ministry of a pastor. So we see Priscilla functioning as a teacher. And then we see Phoebe functioning as a pastor in the New Testament. And there are some scholars that believe that um, this was not a postscript on Romans 16, this last chapter, but a brief um, salutation, can't talk right now, (laughs) to the church in Ephesus. Because she carried the letter to Rome, which we now know is the book of Romans. Wow. And some of the greatest treasure of sound theology is found in the book of Romans. So God anoints and he calls these women to stand in the office of teacher and pastor. And so I began to think about it um, and think who would have been a woman pastor in our time that would have been as effective that would be known throughout the world. And I began to think about Amy Semple McPherson. Yes. She was a pastor in Los Angeles. Um, She was born in 1890. Her mother was um, a Salvationist, Salvation Army. And uh, as a matter of fact, when she was born, Catherine Booth had just died. Wow. And so they considered her the heir to Catherine Booth's heritage. And so she married young, quit school and and married Robert Semple, and they went off to China as missionaries. But um, and they were expecting their first child as they arrived in China. But it's very sad because when they arrived in Hong Kong in June 1910, it wasn't what they expected. Their apartment was noisy. The Chinese food was full of bugs and rats and caterpillars. I can't imagine. I can't even imagine. And a Hindu man was burned alive outside their kitchen window. Wow. Hardly the reception that Amy and her husband, Robert, were expecting. It was a rude awakening for him. Unfortunately, they both contracted malaria. And in two months after their arrival on the mission field, he died of malaria. And you cannot imagine uh, the devastation of grief that Amy would have experienced. Oh, wow. Yes. And their baby girl was born one month later. So not only was her husband buried in China, but all of her dreams, their dreams were buried. buried as well. And so she came back home for one year. She mourned the passing of Robert And then little by little, she started to minister again in the churches that they had ministered. And um, unfortunately, she moved to New York and she met a man by the name of Harold McPherson. And they married two years later. And they had a son. Now, it's sad that when she married him, they were not equally yoked. He didn't have any desire for the things of God. But Amy was touched by the anointing of God. The Lord told her, preach the word. Will you go? Will you go? And he wanted her to stay home, take care of her little daughter and now their son, and just be a happy housewife. And she tried until she got very ill and almost died. And finally on her deathbed, her mother stood over her body, reminding the Lord of his promises to her. And she heard the voice of the Lord again, will 
you go. And so she said she would, and immediately she was restored to health. She began to travel. She bundled up her children, told her husband, I've tried to walk your way. Now, won't you walk mine? Well, he just could not do it. And so she had made a tragic mistake in marrying him, but she began to minister. Now, I I find this incredible. It's 1917. And she preached in more than 100 cities throughout the United States six times. She's just crisscrossing the United States in her car. Preaching with her kids. With her two babies in tow. Um, She never sought a healing ministry, but people began to be healed in her meetings. She was a hard worker, began to put up her tent. I cannot even imagine that. But she was so strong. One time a lamp exploded in her face and she was burned. And um, she immediately put her head in a bucket of water and there were hecklers outside the tent saying, well, she was hurt and there'd be no services that night. And they underestimated Amy and her God because she rushed through the tent flaps, sat down at the piano and began to sing, I praise the Lord who heals me and takes all the pain away. And within minutes, the crowd witnessed a miracle as her face was totally healed. Wow. So not only did people receive healing and health in her services, she experienced it. And it was quite a testimony to the others. Um, she decided that the Lord had given her a vision to establish her home in Los Angeles. So in 1918, she uh, went there and she built a home and she also built a church Wow! called Angelus Temple. Yes. Angelus, famed Angelus Temple. That's right. And it still stands today. It's a beautiful facility. When Amy built it, um, there would be 5,300 seats filled three times a day when she preached every day every sunday every sunday every sunday so she had three services a day 5,300 that's 15,000 plus people came to hear her minister in los angeles three times a day and then she would produce these wonderful productions she had a great sense of humor and she tapped into the creative arts and drama unheard of so all of hollywood would come out to see what amy was doing to figure out what they might do back in the uh, uh, late 80s i was visiting angela's temple with a friend a long time ago and so when we went in i just wanted to see where amy preached what was her church like has beautiful stained glass windows in it. And she depicted the the life of Christ in the stained glass windows so that if a sinner walked in, they could look at the windows and get saved. Wow. And there was an elderly woman came walking up about the time that we were looking around. And she said, may I help you? Do we need to ask if we need any help? And my question was, do you remember Amy? And at that, she said, Oh, when sister spoke, you could hear a pin drop. Wow. And so I looked at that and I thought that was the anointing of God. Because when she spoke, there was no rustling of papers. There was no getting up and down. There wasn't people chatting among themselves. But you could hear a pin drop. That was the anointing of God. Now, what could cause a woman to lead that side? This was a mega church. Right. I mean, it's unheard of. Before it's time. Yeah. And yet she consistently, weekend after weekend after weekend, it would be filled with people. She had um, a prayer tower that was open 24 hours a day for prayer where you well, could call in. You know. A 100-voice choir. A brass band of 36 Two services a week were devoted to praying for the silk, for the silk, for the sick, (laughs) for the sick. Yes. And then she started a Bible training institute that later became known and is still functioning today as Life Bible College. And it's estimated that over one million people were given food during the depression from her church. Wow. Wow. I mean, in every area, she was reaching out with the care and the diligence of the congregation in her community. 
And uh, in January of 1925, the Angelus Temple float won the grand prize at the Tournament of Roses Parade. Wow. So she's involved in the civic affairs. As a matter of fact, um, I love it because one time she was criticized over her method of delivery because she was dramatic. She she involved um, object lessons, if you will. Right. She, she did all kinds of productions. And so some ministers began to criticize her. This is what she responded. Quote, show me a better way to persuade willing people to come to church and I'll be happy to try your method. But please don't ask me to preach to empty seats. <laughs> is that not hilarious? In other words, what she's doing is working. Leave it me alone. was working. And obviously your churches have not. a lot of empty seats. Right. So don't come in here telling me what to do. Right. right. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And so when you think about it, um, in 1922, she named the Angelus Temple the Church of the Four Square Gospel and formed a ministerial alliance. And on signing day, 1,000 pastors affiliated with her. Wow. The Four Square denomination is doing well today. Wow. Wow. And it was started by a woman that God can use. use. And so, in addition, in February of 1924, she became the first woman to be issued a license by the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC. For radio. For radio. Yep. And here we are on radio over 100 years later. But she was the first. Wow. Isn't that amazing? She was the first. Trailblazer. She was a trailblazer with radio. And uh, it became the first Christian radio station in the Los Angeles area. And its reach was incredible. I remember years ago being on that radio station uh, several times. And so what we see is that she had great uh, gifting and great talents and, and was anointed, but she was lonely. Yeah. Her first Love was Robert and he dies on the mission field. Then she marries again and it was no good. And so they get a divorce. But the anointing not only attracts people to you, Mm -hmm. it will attract the wrong kind. Sure it will. And so there was a man came into her life that was, (laughs) I believe, a snare set for her one more time. And um, so she was once again feeling this loneliness, and she married David Hutton, and it ended in divorce as well. But the worst thing about it was that it caused her enemies to triumph over her. Um, In 1926, she was kidnapped and held for ransom. And after 32 days, she was able to escape. And after a night in the hospital, she sent back home fine, 50,000 people were waiting for her at Angela's Temple. Now, I cannot even wrap my mind around that. Wow. 50,000. The Los Angeles district attorney said she was lying and used his office to discredit her instead of looking for the kidnappers. Many believe, there's those that believe that the mob was involved due to her stand against sin and the many that came to repentance in her meetings. And throughout the trial, he brings her to trial. Wow. Her story never changed. She was acquitted of all charges. Even California's governor, Richardson, issued a strong rebuke to the district attorney, who, guess what, was eventually sentenced to San Quentin prison for his own issues. Wow. Amy was not bitter toward him and even visited him in prison. Wow. Now, you talk about the the inner making of this woman of God, a champion for those that are downtrodden. She does. She's covering her bases. The only flaw was her lonely heart. Instead of running to Jesus with it, she endeavored to let man do it. And um, so when and I, a lot of times the, the ministry is lonely too. When yes, you're talking about, uh, a single woman with, uh, you know, a, a church of 15,000 people. You know how. Yes, I mean, it can be lonely when you're absolutely. when you've got a church of 300 or 400 or 500. That's right. So you add that and, you know, her notoriety, but she was probably a lot of times at home alone, you yes, know. Yes, she was. When she wasn't ministering. And so um, when, when someone wants to criticize them, criticize her for that, all I can say is let's look at the fruit of her ministry. Yes. 
Yes. She pastored for over 20 years. She fed the poor. She visited those in prison. She established a Bible college. She had a radio station that was on the air 24-7. She built a church for 15,000 people in the 20s. In, in the, the 20s. Or, I mean, come on. That is uh, more than I can That'd be a lot imagine. now. Yes, it would. Then. Yes, it would. And so uh, let me give you this little detail. I thought it was great. In 1942, she leads a brass band with a color guard into Los Angeles and sold war bonds. So she's civic-minded. Um, she received a special citation from the U.S. Treasury. The governor of California and even President Roosevelt noticed her Friday night prayer meetings during World War II. Wow. So did she make an impact in her no, nation? Absolutely. Yes, she did. So she made a difference that is profound even today. And so I think about that and I think, Lord, help us to be someone that God can use. Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody that um, doesn't have anything wrong. Um, you say, well, how did she die? She was plagued with insomnia. And I understand that. There's been times when I'd be out on the road ministering and I'd get back to my hotel room. And I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep because my mind is still rehearsing and going over all the great things that God did that evening. And uh, and yet knowing I've got to get up in the morning and, and minister again. Mm-hmm. So I understand. So she took sleeping pills to help her rest at night. And so she had been ill with a fever that she contracted in the tropics. And so um, she finally felt well enough to go and uh, minister again. And her son, Rolf, was with her. And they went up to Northern California, and they were going to do three-night meetings uh, dedicating a new church. She was more excited than she'd been in her life, in her mid-50s. And that night after the services, she and Rolf talked about the services. She was in great spirits. But sometime during the night, she must not, she had taken some sleeping pills and then for whatever reason could not go to sleep and took more. She slowed her heart down too. Yeah. And so as a result, she tried to call her physician, but couldn't get him. So the next morning, Rolf found his mother and she was still conscious, but barely. And she didn't make it. So she did not commit suicide. She was just trying to rest. And as a woman minister, I fully understand the frustration of the pressure of more than one service back to back. And you have to get your rest at night. So as as you look at that, um, I think about when they had her services and they brought her back. Her tribute was incredible. Because she lay in state at the church she built, Angela's Temple, 22 years before, for three days wow. and nights, 60,000 people filed by to pay their last respects. Wow. And the floral tributes were so many that finally the florists started sending them to other places because they couldn't hold them all. So her, the magnitude of her ministry and influence, influence went on and on and on. You know, she composed 175 songs and hymns, several operas, 13 drama oratories, and thousands gave their heart to Jesus because she was obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Obedient to her call. We can't look at, Frida, we can't look at anybody in the Bible, any patriarch that we can pull up. There's a there's a weakness or a blind side. That's We're right. dealing with the flesh. But, That's right. But at the end of the day... She, her life was dedicated to the Lord. Yes. She had a blind side or a weakness, just like I, all I don't of us think do. it was a blind. I think it was just a weakness, and the enemy moved right in there to, to exploit it. Yes, he did. Yeah. And he will for you and me, too. Yes, he, he will. He is looking for anything yes. that he can do to make discredit us, to uh, weary us in well-doing. And we have to determine that we're going to stay the course and we're going to do what God's called us to do. And part of it, you know, I, I did a... Uh, 
a broadcast earlier with a friend of mine. We were talking about praying in the spirit. And I, I think that's one of the key things. So many times we as yes. ministers, we're always giving out, but we've got to yes. refill back up that's and, right. and get praying in the spirit for me keeps my eyes seen clear. Yes. Helps me see clear, helps me align myself with what God's called me to be. Uh, you know, God's called us to live present future, not yes. present past. Yes. That's and, may, good. and then there's some people that live past present. In other words, yes. they can't even do what they need to do now for, for, that's for grieving good. over what's happened in the past. That's but good. when I pray in the spirit, I'm able to live present future. Yes. And it, it doesn't mean we don't look back at our past and say, man, I wish I'd done something, but you can't live there. No, you can't no. live there. It's, it'll destroy you. And so, um, there's nobody in the Bible, any patriarch that we know, there's always that something yeah. that they have. Well, that's why I, I, I wanted to give my take on this because I have read several biographies of Amy and she was controversial, but she was anointed. And anybody that's used by God is usually controversial. Is usually controversial. And so we have to be able to eat the fish and spit out the bones. Right. And see what fruit was left. If there's no fruit, then I question there was anything going on. But when you have fruit in abundance, yeah, something you did like something she like. did. Yes. Oh my goodness! For 22 years, she was their senior pastor, and for 22 years, she was faithful. Wow. And so that's why, even in her death, thousands upon thousands upon thousands were there to pay their respects. Listen, I want to, uh, I've enjoyed this so much, Thank Pastor you. Frieda. We're going to pick up next week, too, and talk more about a woman God can use. We're going to close out with a quick song, and then we'll see you next week, and we're going to finish out this book. I want you to go and order this book, A Woman God Can Use. You can find it on Amazon, Amazon and uh, download it, and then please post a review. Um, and when they go on there, be sure you click in Frida C. White. Frida C. White, because there's yeah, two books a, by two different different authors and That's we right. want free to see what god bless you we'll see you next week uh, a woman god can use i believe this book's going to change many many people's lives love you
For the past hour, you've been listening to The Warrior's Watch with Pastor Callie Hargraves as your host. For more information concerning this program, go to bpnradio.com.